0: see you today. Um, good. Um, my name is Jeff. If you're new here, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead teaching pastor here, and uh, you're going to need a Bible. You're going to need to open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, we're going to study verses 6 to 15 in the next few minutes. First or 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 6 to 15. Some of my jokes don't go over well with uh, Midwesterners, so I thought I'd try another. Um, I was reading this week this story. A a mother wanted to teach her daughter a moral lesson. She gave the little girl a quarter and a dollar for church. Put whichever one you want in the collection plate and keep the other for yourself, she told the girl. And when they were coming out of church, the mother asked her daughter which amount she had given. Was it the dollar? The dollar? Or the quarter. Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the dollar, but just before the collection, the man in the pulpit said that we should all be cheerful givers. I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I give the quarter, so I did. <laughs> eh, it's okay, right? I don't know what you guys like anymore, so I'm going to try. I'm going to keep trying. Don't you worry. <laughs> what in the world is a cheerful giver? Like, every... I'm a cheerful getter. Like, if you give me something that I really want or I really like, I'm cheerful. You showed up with a blueberry donut today, a lot of cheer. I'd be cheerful. Who's a cheerful giver? Some of us on on, uh, Christmas morning are cheerful givers. We like giving gifts to our kids and we give them to our loved ones and stuff. But when it goes beyond them, I don't know. I'm not always the most cheerful of giver. Institutions, do we like, are we cheerfully giving to institutions? I mean, every year we give, I give a lot to the institution of the United States of America, and it's never been cheerful, right? Never. I drive down I 90, and I, I, I consciously know that I'm giving to the government every time I go under one of those little toll spots. Never a smile on my face, when that's happening, usually other th- things come out of my mouth when it's happening. What's a cheerful giver? And why is it that we're called to give to local churches anyway? Um, we, have, we have deliberately avoided talking about giving in this series on, on, on money. This is the series we're doing. It's called On the Money. It's six weeks long. We're in week four we have avoided it because usually what happens when a pastor stands up and they're saying, we're going to do a series on what the Bible says about money. It's like, well, the first week's on giving, and the second week's on giving, and the third week's on giving, and giving, 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 giving. Uh, We wanted to avoid that because the Bible has a lot more to say than just about giving. There's a lot to say about giving, but it it has a lot more to say. And so we're covering all of those things, or trying to cover as many of those things in the five other messages, but right here in the middle, we wanted to, to... address what the Bible really does emphasize regarding why it is that we should be cheerful givers and what in the world that, that means. That phrase comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, so I want to study this passage with you. Before we do, i got to give you a little bit of background regarding what's happening uh, in the, the world that Paul is writing from, and the apostle Paul has learned that the church in Jerusalem, the original church, right, the first one that ever existed, the church in Jerusalem is facing famine. They don't have enough food to eat. They don't have enough uh, of material uh, goods to take care of themselves. And so Paul comes up with this really cool idea. I mean, he's a missionary. He's been sent to the Gentiles. His idea is, look, the gospel... The good news about Jesus Christ basically flattens everybody under sin, meaning that it doesn't matter what racial background you are, you're all equally a sinner. And it also equally raises you up in Christ. So it doesn't matter what racial background you are, you're all equal in Christ. So... Can you imagine how cool it would be that if this Jewish church, these Jews who for a long, long, long time have called Gentiles pigs and dogs, if this Jewish church received a collection from all of these Gentile churches, can you imagine the symbolism of that? If I, Paul, were to take all this money that was gathered from all of these churches that descend from this Jerusalem church but their different racial background, and we pick it up, and I drop it at the feet of the Jerusalem church. It would care for their needs, of course, but beyond that, what a testimony to what the gospel does in the lives of different kinds of people. So he goes around to to the different Gentile churches, you know, Philippi and uh, the church in Galatia and the church in Corinth. And he says to them, come on, do you guys see what I'm saying? This would be amazing. And they're like, yeah, we see what you're saying. That's fantastic. And he says, so I got your pledge? You bet. We got a card. I pledged it. Here you go, Paul. And he's like, cool. And so he collects all the pledge cards and he comes back a year later and he says, okay, so you guys ready to do your pledge? And they're kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I remember that. So, he has to encourage them. So, how does he encourage them to give? Now, listen, this is above and beyond what they normally give to their church. How does he encourage people to give even more than what they're currently giving? What's their motivation supposed to be? And so, that's what's in this passage. Four facts about giving. Four facts, biblical truths about giving. The first one, uh, giving ought to be cheerful. That's the line itself, right? God loves a cheerful giver. Where does that come from? Well, let's start in um, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this. Don't you love it when uh, somebody says that? You know, you've kind of been drifting off and they say, the point is this. You're like, oh, yes, okay, I'm ready for the point. The point is this. Here is the point as it pertains to giving and why you, why you should give. Here's his main main argument in the whole thing. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So it's an image of a farmer, right? Goes out he's got the sack on his shoulder. In those days, and he walks down a path in the middle of the field, and he take, reaches in a sack, and he throws the seed. Jesus tells a story about this, and it lands on four different soils, right? Sometimes the birds come and pick it up. Sometimes it, it reaches some really good soil, and other times it's got weeds, and sometimes there's rock underneath the surface, and it doesn't grow up right. Same, same image. He's saying, everybody understands farming. Guy's walking down. He's throwing the seed. Now, here's the principle. The principle is, if you've got a five-pound bag of seed, you're going to get a five-pound You know, return. If you got a 20-pound bag of seed, you're going to get a 20-pound return. Whatever you sow, you reap. Little reaps little. Much reaps much. Or to put it another way, when it comes to giving, the more you give, the more you get. Now, anybody... Who has spent any time around the Christian church? I don't care if you're Christian or not. If you spend any time around the Christian church, especially watching on TV recently, you're immediately going. You got a little. Red, you got your little flag has just gone up in your head. You're like, you sound like Creflo Dollar now, right? You sound like a prosperity preacher because that's what they say. The more you give, the more you get. Therefore, give and I will get. Wait a minute, right? They even use language like this, right? Sow a seed. Would not you sow your thousand dollar seed and the Lord will do it so, so the whole idea behind their teaching is if you if you give money to the Christian ministry God will repay you and if you want to increase in, in in what you have give give more and we say that's ridiculous we see all the houses you've got we see all the planes that you like to buy we see all that stuff stop cheating the people of God so that you can get Rich and in doing that, we say all of everything that you say is absolute trash. But here's the thing about false teaching, okay? False teaching is always based on some nub of truth. Uh, I don't know if you ever uh, uh, listen. I believe I believe that God heals. I also believe that there's a lot of charlatan healers around. They walk around and they blow on people and they fall over and things like that. But if you go out behind that and actually try to follow up on many of those people, they were not healed. But occasionally someone's healed. I don't want to reject the charlatan healer in such a way that I say no healing ever happens, right? Because there's a nub of truth in there. God heals. I, I believe... Uh, that, I I believe that somebody who calls themselves a universalist, meaning that everybody in the end will ultimately be received by God into heavenly bliss. No matter who you are, no matter what you're back, no matter what you believed, if you rejected God, it doesn't matter. Everyone at some point be in heaven. I think that's false teaching. I can prove that in the Bible, that that's, that's not true. So I end up saying, Oh, you universalists, get out of here. You're lying to people and you're telling them peace, peace, where there is no peace. Stop it. And yet, there's a nub of truth. And you know what the nub of truth is? Uh, God wants everyone everywhere to repent and come to a knowledge of the truth. So, look, when we, when we address false teaching, one of the things that we have to do is identify and nuance our, our understanding. There are some nubs of truth. That we want to hold on to, and the rest we want to throw out. But that numb of truth when it comes to giving is right here. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. See, the problem with the false teachers is a lot of times they end up saying, Yeah, that's right. And so I'm gonna be a conduit of God's grace, right? Which is what this is saying. You're gonna be a conduit, like a pipe. And the more you put in, the more we're able to put in, and I'm going to be a pipe. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to be a gold-lined pipe. And we're like, yeah, copper will do, right? You don't need to be lined with gold to be a conduit of God's grace. Also, they miss the next part, right? I give to get, but then you'll see in a second to give. But the point is this: Whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly. See, it's got to be something you decide in your heart. It's your heart, different than your heart. Not reluctantly or, or under compulsion. Um, there's a there's an old story. I don't know if it's true or not. I learned it in a history class. Um, It was about Joseph Stalin, one of the worst dictators in the history of the world, Soviet leader throughout the 20th century. Um, He led by fear so much that people, when they were in his presence, would just do whatever it is that he liked so that they wouldn't die. So when Stalin would come into a room, it was very common for people to stand up and give him a standing ovation, not because they liked Joseph Stalin. In fact, they usually hated him. But they stood up and gave him a standing ovation for fear that if you were sitting down and giving him an ovation, you would die the next day. So you stand up and you you clap. And while you're clapping, you keep looking around to see if anybody else is going to stop clapping because you don't want to be the first person to stop clapping. Because if you stop clapping, he'll notice that and you'll probably die the next day. So you just keep on clapping and clapping. And clapping. On one occasion, somebody they stood up and they were clapping for 15 straight minutes. Finally, one guy slowed down, and people around him were like, "Okay, let's just take it down collectively." Okay, and they sat down. And then Stalin gives his speech, and the next day that guy died. Um. That's what you call under compulsion. <laughs> that you're giving your praise, but you're giving it reluctantly. You don't want to give it, but there's a, there's a culture that's been developed around you that if you don't do it, there's going to be repercussions. That's giving reluctantly. God's like, I don't, I don't want your reluctant giving. I don't want your reluctant praise. I want it to be from your heart, man. In fact... I love a cheerful giver. The the, the difference is somebody who's excited to give. Let me try to paint this. My my daughter did this amazing thing when she was a little kid. So she's the hero of this story because she's perfect. So... So you know when you sometimes have a little kid and they have their little truck or doll or whatever and their friend comes over, you know like 2 years old or 3 years old and they're holding onto their dolly and they're like it's mine. I'm never going to give my dolly up. My precious. And so you the the dolly it, you're like but you've had it for 15 minutes, honey, and now it's time for you to share with your friend. And so you pick it up, and the kid is hanging off of it while you pick it up, and you pry them off, you know, and you get them off there, and then you give it to the other kid. And what what does your child do? Well, they either cry or they stand there like this. (laughs) Okay, this is reluctance. They're obeying you. They're sharing reluctantly. One time my daughter, though, compare that to this. One time my daughter, her friend came over, her best buddy, her best buddy, who's, who's just a great next-door neighbor, she comes over and, she, and uh, my daughter had a little doll and her, f- her friend wanted it and Sophie uh, was holding it and her friend grabbed it and said, oh, mine, because this is what kids do when they're like two years old. She goes, mine, and Sophie goes, yours, 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 <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a cheerful giver. Somebody who rejoices in the joy that somebody else has for getting the thing that you have. God loves that kind of person. Here's the thing that you need to notice, though, in these first verses. Um, God cares less about the money we give than he cares about the heart from which it's given. God, God cares less about the money we give than he cares about the heart from which it's given. I wish pastors would understand that. I do, I wish Christian leaders would understand that because a lot of Christian leaders, we try to create environments where the giving is compulsory, right? I mean, you've been to conferences and churches where your feet it's a little heavy-handed, you know what I mean? And we play the soft music behind it, and now the Lord wants you to give, you know? My friends in New Zealand uh, who I worked with there for uh, quite a few years, they all attended a conference right before I arrived and they went to this conference, and the conference was great. You had to pay an entry fee to get into the conference. And so when they, they got there, they enjoyed the music. They enjoyed the, the, the speakers, that kind of thing. The conference was ending, and they, they usually charge a fee. And with this group, they would pass around these big KFC buckets. Remember those when you were a kid and you ended up eating all the chicken out of them? They, so they, apparently that's where the buckets all go, to this church, and they use them to, to collect money. So they take these buckets and they start to pass them around, right? And so people give some money, some extra money, you know, jingles the change in their pockets and they put it in and it eventually comes back. So the guy gets up at the end of the service. And he's ready to close the whole conference It says, it's been great having you here. We loved it. It's so great. Be careful as you leave. And let me give you a final prayer. But before he can pray, this other guy comes off from the side. And he's got a couple of the buckets under his arm. And he comes forward. He grabs the microphone. And he says, I don't know what you think you're doing. Not to the guy, but to the, to the people. But this is not enough. The, the Lord brought us here. We have given freely to you. And this is what you give back? We are going to pass these again. And what you need to know is that we are open to taking IOUs for your car, for your boat. We have a ministry. No joke. This is absolutely serious. Okay, We have a ministry that will take your shoes, refurbish them, and sell them on. So if you want to take your shoes and put them into the bucket, we will take your shoes in the bucket. My my friend said I said what are you t-? when he told me this I said what if what are you, what? there's a whole bunch of shoes in the bucket he's like yeah everyone's taking their shoes in the bucket they had to get extra buckets KFC buckets full of shoes and so he's like I bought new shoes that morning and they come to me and I'm like oh man and everyone's looking at me looking at my shoes looking at me looking at my shoes I said what did you do he said I kept them on <laughs> he's what yeah it was horrible everybody stared at me well that okay that, under compulsion yes. You've created an environment that, that is forcing people. You're manipulating them into giving. And it's exactly not what Paul says he wants. He didn't need to say this, you know. He, he could have just left this out. But he cares. God cares way more about the heart from which you give than the money you give. Have you guys ever been to those churches? I mean, when I was, when I was uh, in Austria years ago... Uh, they told us when we went to church, you need please take a couple of pennies or a couple of small um, small Austrian fennigs is what they call them. And uh, just just hold them in your hand because there's a point where they're going to do the giving. And I was like, why would I need to do this? Well, I found out when we got there. The way they do it is there's a guy who's got a, there's a bag on the end of a pole. And he will, he'll walk up to you and he'll hold it out. And if you're not giving, he'll hold it there for a while like... We're going to be here all day, right, until you, until you pony up. And so the idea was just get the cheapest little thing you do and hand it in to so that it, everyone can hear it. Chink. See, I gave. Lost a lot of pennies while I was there giving, giving to, that, to that thing. But you think about it. It's the, it, it it's, it's a, it's a, you're creating an environment so that people will give. Do you get more money this way? I guess. Is it what God wants? Apparently not. Apparently not. He wants you to be cheerful when you give. I'm just going to tell you this now. For as long as I'm here, I'm never going to guilt or intimidate you for money. I'm not going to manipulate your emotions for it. Because I want you to give because of the overwhelming grace of God that's been given you. The gospel should be the motivation always for why you give. You respond to the grace that's been given you in the same way that the sinful woman who runs into the room with her hair everywhere cries tears onto Jesus' feet and wipes them with her hair and pours her expensive perfume all over That's the giving that we're after. So giving, giving ought to be cheerful. Second... Giving isn't really risky. I know that we think it is. Oh, what if I give a lot to the Lord? How am I going to pay for my blood? Paul's like, yeah, you're, you're not thinking about things the right way. Giving's not really risky. And God, notice, is able. So if you sow bountifully, God is able to make all Grace abound to you. Now, he's referring specifically here to money. He's calling it a grace because, of course, it's a grace. When God gives you money, he's he's gracing you. And, And he can cause financial grace to abound to you. So that having all sufficiency, meaning that you have everything that you need, that the state of affairs in your life is that the Lord is taking care of your needs so that it's completely sufficient you are content with what he's provided so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times you wonder you wonder what his point is with the all right like all the time in all things with all the sufficiency God is able, he's got the power to take care of you so that you may abound in every good work. In other words, you're, you're able to give back. Additionally, what, what you've been given to yourself, it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures Forever. Here's the point I think he's really after here. When we give, we thrust ourselves into God's hands to provide for us, and he will never let us down. All, 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 all. That when you say to God, all right, I am going to trust you with what you say about giving and possessions, that the more that I give, the more I am going to get so that the more I can give. I'm going to trust you with this. That when you do that, you will never, ever be let, let down. See, because here's, here's the way we think of God. We think he's the kind of God who might drop us. Um, my, one of my worst things I've done in my life is actually um, inadvertently hurt my son. Uh, you ever played that trust fall game? <laughs> do you know where you stand there? And you, so my kid was young. I was like, something. Ethan was young. And he was, I'd say, just Fall. Honey, fall? I'm going to catch you. I'm going to catch you and catch you. And of course, the kid's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're always joking around. You just don't mean it. No, no, I actually am going to catch you. I'm going to catch you. I'm going to catch you. And he stood there for like minutes after minutes after minutes. And after a while, you know, as a parent, you're just like, yeah, I will catch you and catch you. And you notice things in the distance. You're like, yeah, just do it whenever you want, and I'll be right here. Well, he did. He did. But I was looking at the fire engine over in the distance, and he fell <laughs> right at my feet. Just... And his arm is like backwards now. And I'm no kidding. I'm looking down thinking, Pool, this is not going to go well in the, father, in, the, in the father count. He's got his arm backwards down before me. And he's crying, you didn't catch me. And I said, yeah, you're right. I didn't. I didn't catch you. <laughs> you're a brilliant kid. I didn't catch you. Now I actually think, look, I'm a good dad. I, I solved it. Okay, we took him to the hospital. He's fine. <laughs> he's fine. But a lot of us think that if I throw myself back into the arms of God, that's what's going to be happening. He's looking off in the distance at the fire engine or whatever. He's a busy guy. And I'm, I'm not going to be, he's not going to do it. That's why we don't take him up on the offer. We, we don't cast ourselves into his hands this way. But you do see, you do see that in, in the scriptures, um, you get these little examples of people who are doing it and Jesus Commends them. Here's one of the great passages about giving and possessions in the Bible. Jesus looked up and he saw the, the rich putting their gifts into the offering box right there at the temple. And he saw a poor widow. Widows in those days had nothing. The only way that you have anything is if you have a man attached to your life. She got nothing. She puts in two small copper coins, a couple of pennies. And he said, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, uh, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So what's Jesus saying? Look, don't you see? Here's a woman who's basically cast herself into the arms of God, and he will take care of her. I see that, see the faith, and Wow. That's the kind of person I want. Not the people who are stingy a little bit or even who give just out of their excess. But this lady who took a risk on God and said to him essentially that you are going to have to come through if I'm going to eat. She's the one who's commended. You guys ever seen the, there's a, there was a viral video a number of years ago, with this little kid, and he was standing on a diving board, and he was shaking his legs and arms like this the whole thing, his dad was standing below, and when I say standing, actually standing, right, he had the water kind of up to his waist, and he was saying, jump, <laughs> and the kid was wiggling, and he says, seriously, jump, you're gonna be safe, <laughs> and, and the video just, it goes on for a long time, and the kid turns, and he's, he's shaking, and shaking, and shaking, and after a while, you just start giggling because you think it's crazy that this little kid won't jump to his father who's only waist deep in the dumb water. Like, son, even if he doesn't catch you, you're going to be in the water. He'll just grab you immediately and pull you up. There's no, you, there's no risk here. <laughs> but he keeps doing it. I swear God is in heaven and we're like, oh, I don't know if I can give. And he's like, oh, just do it. Just jump. (laughs) But if I do, you're not going to catch me. I'll catch you. I'm totally capable of doing it. Do you do know that the moment that you jump, he will catch you and then you'll be like, ooh, that was fun. Like the little kid, you be oh, you go over to the to the to the stairs out of the out of the pool, and you go back up, and you get to the top, and you go, oh, I'll do it again, and you do it again, and then later, your 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 dad keeps moving back, further back, further back, further back, and the end, he's like flipping in the back and catches, ah, having a great time, right? This is the life God invites you into with your stuff. If only you jump, so all you gotta do is jump. All you gotta do is do is jump. All you gotta do is say, you know what? The more I give, the more I get. To give, to get, to give, to get, to give, to get, to give. How much time do we have to, have to give? God catches all those who cast themselves into His arms. He's fully capable to provide all that we all that we need. Okay, the third one. Uh, Giving leads to greater capacity for giving. I actually think these are some of the coolest verses in the entire Bible. And it really catches catches the crux of, I think, his argument in this whole passage. Uh, He who supplies the seed to the sower. So God is the one who supplies all that that you're going to have. Right, The seed that you're sowing with to begin with. You think, yeah, I earned it through all of my smart investing. No, the Lord... The Lord gives also the Lord takes away, right? <laughs> Recently, stock okay, no. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food, okay. This one, this God, he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So you jump, and this God who supplied what you needed to jump, he supplied the risk that you're taking the risk with, he will supply and multiply your seed. Why? It's for sowing. He's going to multiply the seed for more sowing, or to put it another way, you will be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way. Which, through us, we're going to take this collection to the folks in Jerusalem, which, through us, will produce thanksgiving to God. Because when they receive it, they're going to be like, Thank you, God, we can eat. Guys, this is amazing. Basically, this passage is arguing for an economic uh, vision, for, for God's economic vision, and it works out to be a triangle. Uh, so, so God, he, he gives, right? Right? To us who are happy because we got stuff. But we're also happy because we're cheerful givers. So we give to, to the needy. God's work around the world, whatever. And they, in turn, when they receive it, are like, praise God. And they give thanks to God. They praise him for it. He is, in other words, glorified in their voices for what they received. So God then is like, ooh, so glory is going to come if I give, let's give a little bit more. And then you're like, oh, even happier, right? You've got a better haircut now. No, just kidding. And then then you're like, ooh, but I want to give more because I want thanks to go to God. And then, no, much time. Over and over and over and over again. And this is the vision. This is the vision for Forgiving, the more you give, the more you get, so you have more to give. So so you and I, we often wonder as Christians, I I wonder uh, how the Lord's going to provide for his work around the world. There's so many needs, so many who don't have, so many people who need to hear the gospel, so many who need to have wells drilled in in their towns, so many. People in Chicagoland who need to know the gospel, churches that need to be proclaiming The gospel, leaders who need to be doing How are we going to train them? What do we have? All of it's going to cost money. And I wonder how the Lord's going to provide for that work. But I'm telling you, I actually think it's it's explained right here. This is his economic plan for his church. The economic plan for his church and mission is generous Christians constantly resupplied by God for increasingly generous giving. Generous Christians constantly resupplied by God for more and more generous giving. He gets praise and glory, the point of all things in the world. We are supplied with all we need and we distribute it freely and cheerfully to all others who then give praise to God. I um, had a conversation once with a guy who was, was planning to write a book about economics for the church. And he said... He said to me and my friend as we met with him. Um, the problem the church faces right now, he said, is that we don't, have a, we, we don't have enough money to do the ministries we're doing. And millennials, his words, hit millennials don't give any money. So we're going to have to adjust our paradigm a bit. And so here's what he suggested. That churches should get involved in business ventures. So if you have a McDonald's across the street you should say, well, they're going to charge $3.50 for their egg McMuffin, but we can make it for $2.50 because cheap labor, because, you know, serve the Lord. And so then we're going to make that, and we can sell it and compete with them, make more money, right? The church has more money. We could do this in a whole bunch of areas. I was like, I, th- I think that's probably going to get you offside with, with, with the tax status. And he's like, no, no, it'll be fine. I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, my friend, while we're sitting there, he said, yeah, but why wouldn't you just like take this as an opportunity to disciple all of the all of the millennials about about giving? And and the first place you could go is to try to teach them this principle, right? He whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Whoever gives bountifully sows bountifully, will reap bountifully, and that the Lord will always. You can't outgive God. He's going to always resupply that. And God says it won't work. Rubbish! It won't work. We just don't try it. It would would work. It does work. Man, I could be here all day telling you stories of how it works. you guys ever seen, um, you know, I talk about a river. You know, we are supposed to be rivers instead of ponds. You know, the stinky ponds where the water comes in and it stops. And it just gets bigger and bigger and putrid. That's not what God wants with our money and possessions. He wants us to be rivers. But here's the crazy thing about a river. The more water that runs through it, the more water is able to run through it. Because it erodes the bottom and eventually, you know, you've got the Mississippi, which started from a little trickle. So the moment that you start trickling down and you say, okay, I'm going to be a river, I'm going to be a conduit of God's grace, right? Lined with copper, don't need me to lined with gold, man, I'm going to, it's going to start trickling down, it's going to start trickling down and trickling down. That eventually, the more God will give and then the bigger the river gets and the more God gives, the bigger the river gets. So that you, you start being kind of a paltry giver and you end being a massive philanthropist who has a huge smile on their face because they're always being resupplied by God for all that they need and the world is being fed and God is getting praise. Don't you think we could try this? You think you could try I mean, as a Christian, don't you think you could try this? I don't, I don't know. It's going to be hard. It's really risky, is it? I mean, it's the character of God they're counting on here, right? Captain Levy was the name of a very generous Christian from Philadelphia. They even have buildings and things named after him there, even now. He was once asked how he could give so much to the Lord's work and still have such great wealth. He said this Oh, easy. As I shovel it out, he shovels it in, and the Lord has a bigger shovel. Right. Giving leads to greater capacity for for giving. Here's the last one. Verse 12. Oh, I drew too much there. Um, The last one is giving proves our confession is true. Our, Our giving proves something about our confession of faith. It demonstrates for everyone else to see that our confession of faith, I believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal salvation. Based on that, we'll baptize you in the name of the Father. That confession is proven true by what you do with your money. So um, for the ministry of this service, this is Paul's way of saying, uh, th- this Jerusalem collection project that I'm involved in, The ministry of this service is is not only supplying the needs of the saints. See, they're going to get fed, these guys in Jerusalem. But it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Remember the triangle? By their approval, (laughs) right? Because when you get somebody giving you something that's really awesome, you usually approve of it. I approve of this money you have given me today. By their approval of this service... They will, will glorify God. Because, why? Because your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. So In other words, they're saying when they get the money, they're going to be like, "Praise God." And also, this is a real sign of those people's submission to their confession. Of the gospel of Jesus. Like I can see how the gospel has led to a confession. And has now shown up in their works. In their submission. Because we're getting the money. Praise be to God. That those are real Christians. And I can see it because of what they've done with their money. Your submission that comes from your confession to the gospel of, Christ, of the gospel of Christ. And your generosity of your contribution for them. And for all others. What, what, they, are they going to long... For you and, and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. How do they know you have a surpassing grace of God upon you? Because you gave? Because you showed it? Um, th- this is a remarkable uh, uh, concept. Um, it's basically what happened with Jesus when he comes to, with, to Zacchaeus. And G- Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half of my... So Jesus shows grace... To Zacchaeus, by inviting himself over to his house, we're going to be buddies even though nobody else likes you, you chief tax collector. So Zacchaeus says, "Uh, I'll give half of all my stuff away. And Jesus responds by saying, today salvation has come to this house. Not because of what this man's done, but what he's done is a sign that salvation has come. Jesus is walking up to Zacchaeus and he's saying, I am looking at the fruit of this tree. And the fruit of this tree is Robust and rich and healthy, therefore the root is robust and rich and healthy, right? So our generosity is a sign we're saved. What we do with our money and possessions says a lot about our spiritual condition. Stingy giving means shriveled faith. Generous giving means vibrant faith. The window through which you can see the reality of somebody's confession Is it just words, or is it working itself out? So I'm going to try to prove this to you in a couple of uh, passages of Scripture, really important ones, okay? Um, James, chapter 2, verse 14. Um, What good is it, my brothers, says James, if someone says, notice he's confessing, says he has faith, I have faith, but he doesn't have works. So it's just words. Can that faith, that mere profession... Save him. OK, let's, let, let's give an example. Isn't it interesting that the example he's going to pick has something to do with money and possessions? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you, one of you says to them <laughs> --I love it "Go in peace, be blessed." And you put your hand on their shoulder, "I feel for you. while you eat your sandwich. it's hard. Go in peace. Be warmed and filled. I just want you to feel real good on the inside. But you don't give them the things needed for the body. Um, what, What good is that? What's the answer? Well, not much. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's meaningless. It's just empty words. So for James, what you do toward the needy, says a lot about your spiritual condition, whether or not your profession of faith is true or not true. Because here's the thing about the gospel. The gospel is a story about God who is rich, becoming poor, right? He leaves behind his heavenly abode. He comes. God himself gives his son. At great sacrifice himself, he gives his son for needy people so that they might be well. When that gospel finds a root inside your life, what the fruit it produces is the same action that you end up seeing needy people and at great sacrifice to yourself, you meet those needs. So if I see that movement in your life, I'm saying that's the fruit of a healthy gospel tree. Want one more? So this story, at the end of time, Jesus is gonna be there and he's, he's gonna be judging and he's gonna treat us like uh, some some of us are sheep and some of us are goats, right? He's going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous, and he's going to be like, all right, sheep, sheep, goat, sheep, goat, sheep, goat, sheep, goat, and then he's going to have on either side, right side and left side, he's going to have people there. He's going to say to one of them, welcome to eternal glory, and the other one he's going to say, you're eternal damnation. The question is, in the story, what is the basis for the decision, the distinction? Now, as good Christian people, you and I say, well, it must be because you profess faith in Jesus. I mean, if you, are you, do you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. Okay, you're over here. But Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, what he says is, let's see the works that demonstrate whether your profession is true. And so, uh, I was hungry, he said. And you gave me food. See, why are you in the righteous pile? You, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous are going to say, well, like, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Like, I don't remember any of that, Jesus. You look a certain way, and, and the king will answer them. Truly I see to you, as you did it for one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Or to put it another way, what you do with your money and possessions says an awful lot about the truth of your confession of Christ. So the question that should be asked of all of us What does your giving say about the gospel finding a home in you? It is really appropriate that I ask that question to a bunch of wealthy people who are richer than anyone who's ever been on the face of the earth. We are the wealthiest people ever to live. And if the gospel finds its home in you, what it does is it makes you into a Zacchaeus. What it does is it makes you into the sinful woman who... Washes his feet, Jesus' feet with her hair. What, what, what it makes you into is somebody who is desperately cheerful in giving all away so that the Lord can then give more so that you can give it all away. This is what it, this is what it does to you. Is that, is that what it looks like? Seriously, if I just walked out to your life, I looked up to the tree of your faith and I saw things, what would I see? Would I see that fruit or would I see like shriveled little, little, little apples there? Don't fool yourself. Jesus isn't asking, uh, did you pray a prayer? He's asking, has that prayer, has that faith found a root in you so that it produces good works and specifically good works to the poor? When I ask that, so here's the thing, a lot of us, when we hear that, just as I finish here, a lot of us, we hear that, we're like, oh, I gotta get my act together. Well, maybe, but can I tell you that the answer to all of your questions and all of your guilt and all of the feelings, like, I don't know what that looks like, is actually not the law, it's the gospel. Again, I don't want to manipulate you into giving anything out of duty. I only want you to give it out of delight. So how do you become somebody who is a faithful, productive, liberal giver? You just sit there and you soak in the gospel. And you say, oh, look at the love of God for me and how he's done all of these magnificent things for me. How do I respond to that? You just fill up so much on his love that at the end it's like, ooh, it's bubbling over. And it just spills on everybody. The answer to the questions, the answer to the guilt is always, is always the gospel. So look, if you, as you leave today, you should remember that God loves stingy givers. But he wants to, by his spirit, turn you into a cheerful one. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for your goodness, your grace, passages of scripture that challenge us, uh, cause us to reflect on our own lives. I, I, God, there is a, <laughs> both a warning here at the end, but also... The promise of an amazing system of providing for your needs around the world. So God, I pray that we would both hear the warning, but more importantly, see the potential of what could be. Find us faithful in response. We don't want to be just hearers of the word, but doers of it. Make us doers of your word. By the power of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.